welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Backing down a lefty hook, breaks it in! With your host, Callius Anderson, stopped it down behind his head. Seku Smith, the tipping is good at the buzzer. And Vince Tunks. Slices across the lane, puts up a hook on the run. No, but a dynamite stick back slam. Now it's time for the tip that mute, but I don't care what anybody says. You got to have the right kind of intro music for the Hang Time Podcast. Clint Hawkins did it right. Mm-hmm. Did it right. VT, what's happening? Sheku Smith from the Hang Time blog at NBA.com alongside my partner, Vincent H. Thomas. VT, what's the deal? Man, late late night yesterday, man. I I, I didn't get uh, the sack till about 3 a.m., man, because I, I had to run that, that Lakers-Phoenix game back. Um, what? after what? the fact, yeah, man. I mean, I had, I had to watch loss. Loss started at seven, didn't end until about 1130. I was lost. I was lost out for about five hours and, but checking the Lakers score. Oh, then after that, I met, you see, I didn't send out one tweet the whole time. Finally on, got a chance man. to watch the Lakers game afterward. What's, I mean, what, you, come, you, come on, what, man, what's the deal? Uh, the deal is I'm going to send the smoke monster after you. <laughs> How about that? Hey, you got to watch. up NBA games to watch Lost? Come on, L- man. Listen, man, it's the series finale. That was a national event. You do the national event real time. Then you go back and you and you zip through the, the pro. I'm, I'm gonna, probably going to do the same thing uh, tonight. Watch 24 live and then go through and, and zip through Boston, Orlando after the fact. Can you can you see the gas face I'm giving you right now? Can you, can, can you I see can, that? I can, I can see it through the phone. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm in Phoenix and, and you back at the headquarters, but I am giving you the gas face, man. Come on, you can watch Lost anytime. You got no, you, you got do everything. It. You got you got Slingbox. You got a DVI. You got uh, say cool. You do it live, man. You got to do it live as it's happening, man. You don't you don't agree? What's the last What's the last sitcom or or television drama that really had that you were a, a big fan of that you watched live as it as it happened? Uh, I think Martin. It was a comedy, but Martin. Uh, I think that's, I could have cared that's the last less time about I watched anything. You were still watching Martin in 1996 after G- they were Gina was and Martin were split screen. You were still watching that show. Hey, be cool now. Don't don't talk about Applehead like that. Uh, man. Uh, listen, there's Martin. I know you're you watching uh, ignorant. I know you're watching Lost last night, but there's a lot going on in the basketball world. Yeah. Um you know, not only did the did the Phoenix Suns. Uh, make a scratch in this Western Conference final series. By the time everybody got done working last night here in Phoenix, Mike Brown was in the unemployment line. Another yeah. another coach, yeah. you know, coming off back-to-back 60-win seasons. Somebody, I guess, had to take the fall in, in Cleveland, and apparently it's Mike Brown. Well, I mean, we saw it coming, though, right? You weren't surprised, were you? Nobody was surprised. Chris Mannix of uh, Sports Illustrated tweeted it. Uh, you know, the the day it was supposed to go down and, and the Cavaliers came out and dismissed it and act like they were really, you know, contemplating what they were going to do and how they are going to go forward. We all knew that day he was getting fired. Absolutely. I mean, they it's what they it's what they had to do. They are now, however, in a precarious position because let's say LeBron walks and now they're without uh, LeBron and a, a coach that, you know, won 60 games back-to-back, although obviously a lot of that had to do with LeBron. But, you know, now they have to, to find a coach. And really, what, what coach are they going to be able to get to sign on the dotted line before, you know, the first week of July anyway? So, you know, the, the Cavs have their work cut out for them this summer, and obviously that's a, a, a gross understatement. Yeah, I mean, obviously if they don't get LeBron to come back, they could get uh, Big Boy from Lost to coach the team, and nobody would care. It's gonna be early. It's gonna be a disaster. <laughs> whatever, whatever your man's name is, since you I all. Can't, in the, I can't believe you, know, you don't watch Lost, man. But it, it you know, I, I would obviously uh, suspect that you'd be a, a huge 1996 Martin fan, but then not watch yeah. one of the best dramas of all time. Okay. No, very, wife, very wifey cool. watches it. Wifey watches it. She keeps me posted on on all the news I don't need to know about a, a ridiculous television show. Let, but let's speaking. Of, well, hold on. Speaking of being Lost, you, you being Lost on Lost. How, how quickly <laughs> do you think? Um, Mike Brown is back on the sidelines as a head coach. I don't know. Think about think about the group of guys he's joining in the unemployment line in terms of coaches, fired coaches coming off you know winning seasons. Mm-hmm. Byron Scott, Avery Johnson, the Avery Johnson's winning percentage is something ludicrous. You know he's still looking for a job, hunting for a job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know your favorite coach, Mike Woodson, is, is out there <laughs> uh, p- putting out resumes. So I mean, it's there are guys with you know with with wins. 
coming off winning season with wins plastered all over their portfolio looking for work. So I don't know that Mike Brown is going to get back into the game any faster than those guys. It's just, it's strange, man. The the same day I put a blog up, a uh, post up about this earlier this morning. I mean, the same day that Mike Brown is getting the ax within hours, Doug Collins is being introduced as, as the coach in Philly. It's just, this is that strange time of year when coaches are rolling in and out and nobody blinks because it's the way it's been for years. Um, You see Philly now, you know, Philadelphia is one of those teams where the, one of those organizations where there's just been a lot of mediocrity as of late. Yeah. I mean, they're not even, they haven't even earned the right for us to, to wax about them on, on the hangtime podcast right now. Good luck to Doug Collins, but are we really, you know, are we really going to waste air well, on, on the Philadelphia 76ers when we got guests lined up for, like like Pat Williams and Chris Dorch for I mean, a split second I'm because on, for a split Try second it. because I want I want to know one thing they but do I have don't, I don't want to tell you whatever it is I don't want to tell you <laughs> they have they have some young talent okay and they have the number two pick is a coach like Doug Collins who obviously we know from his from what he does on television is one of the the great teachers that the game has ever seen can he make a difference I don't know it, it didn't work the last time I'll just you know, the last Wizards. time he was in that, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's not to say it won't work this time, but all the all you're going on when you when you get into that coaching carousel and you're bringing in, you know, the same names and the same guys is you you're basically rolling the dice that it'll end up better this time than it did last because I don't care how many wins those same guys I mentioned a few minutes ago or a few a couple seconds ago are you talking about all these guys are fired coaches, mm-hmm. you know, none of them walked away on their own accord, they either were forced out or had, you know, whatever. So it's like, you're just hoping that it's, that it goes better this time than it did the last. And like that, Elvin, like Elvin Gentry, like Elvin yeah. Gentry, you know, he's over you there hope, with, yeah. he's that's over the, there with Los Boga, with, with Los Bogus. And you, you know, hope that's the way it turns out. You hope it, you hope it improves. Like you hope it, it gets better the next time. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, but listen, I'm not, I'm not wasting time with, with, with the teams that, that we, that we haven't talked about all year. Ain't no sense in talking about them now when we got, we got some good guests lined up here on the podcast. So let's let's first and foremost uh, dive into, speaking of Los Bogus, let's talk about Los Magic. All right, joining us now, Pat Williams, Senior Vice President for the NBA's Orlando Magic, a 42-year veteran of the league. Pat, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Nice to catch up with you guys. How's everything going? It's going good. It's going good. It's a, it's a busy time of the year, obviously, for everybody. And I know uh, for you, with with uh, your latest book, the winning combination, and all the all the other work you do, but uh, we appreciate you taking a few minutes out of your out of your day to catch up with us, Pat. We it's it's a strange situation here where you have the lottery and the draft coming up on one side, and then you have you know we're the thick of the conference finals, and then you also have these coaches, you know, getting hired and fired on a daily basis. Is in your in your estimation, is this the most hectic time in the league, other than free agency, maybe when you have all these oh, I, different things going on at once? Oh, I don't think there's any question about it. When you think about the the uh, scouting for the draft, you've got the playoffs raging. Uh, the lottery falls in the middle of all this, and and I don't ever remember this much coaching uh, turmoil uh, with these many teams interviewing this many number of players. That that's a whole story unto itself. And then, of course, free agency approaching in about uh, five weeks. And we haven't even gotten to the draft and, and all that's going on in the draft. And uh, where are these young players going to be drafted and who's going to end up with who? Yeah, this is uh, this is a wild time in pro basketball, no question. Pat, Pat, you know, just thinking about the basketball that's being played right now, your magic are down 0-3. And I'm just curious to know from your perspective – what is ailing them right now? Because I don't think anyone expected for Orlando to be on the verge of a sweep at this point. Well, there's no question. And our, our community is stunned right now. It's like we're like a duck that got hit in the head by a brick. Like, where, <laughs> did, where, where did this come from? You know, we had had, we've had this incredible season. Uh, we, we were ripped through Charlotte, uh, wiped through Atlanta. And uh, the, the sense was, you know, who can stop us? Well, I think it's safe to say through three games the Boston Celtics have figured that out. So I don't know whether it, 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 the, the issues are, are on our end or, or whether it's all Boston-related. I, I just don't know the answer to that. I, I do know that the Celtics look terrific. 
uh, we, we, they all, there was all the talk about upsetting Cleveland. Well, may I say, forget that. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no upset. Mm-hmm. They, they were better than Cleveland. And uh, they're just playing extremely well. They're healthy. They look good. They're focused. There's a certain edge to them. I think they're still angry from last year when we beat them, particularly game seven up there. I don't think they've ever quite gotten over that. So I'm, I'm, I have to tell you, I'm very impressed with Boston, and I'm inclined to think that our woes may be all Boston inflicted, if, if, if we could put it that way. Hmm. Well, well, Pat, what, what's in the mind of an executive when you, you have all these expectations, you know, uh, going into the playoffs? You start off on a roll, like you mentioned. You hit this point, and now you go into an offseason season. With all these questions that a couple of weeks ago you didn't think you'd have to answer, I mean, what what's on your mind as an exec in terms of the first thing you got to figure out after a disappointing stretch like this? Well, all I can think about is my dear friend Chuck Daly, who we, who passed away a year ago, and I hired Chuck to his first NBA coaching contract as Billy Cunningham's assistant with our 76ers team in Philadelphia. So this would be the 77-78 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have Dr. J and Daryl Dawkins and all that group, and we're expected to win a championship. And and um, uh, we lose to, to Washington in a crushing, heartbreaking six-game series. Uh, and, and Chuck walked into my office the next morning and said, ours is a suffering business. Mm-hmm. And I said, Chuck, what do you mean? He said, well, everybody goes home suffering except one. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, and the further you go into it, the more you suffer. Mm-hmm. So I, I think in answer to your question, yeah, I mean, when you when you lose, you suffer, and you suffer all summer, and uh, and you do everything you can to try and improve. You know, obviously, this series with Boston has, has exposed some of our weak spots, but but you've got to be getting better every year in this league to the best of your ability. And if you don't, you're getting worse. Yeah. And and so that's that's the bottom line here. You can never take a summer off. So first it's the draft, and you've got to do the best you can in the draft. And then if there's some help in free agency or through trades, you've got to be ready to go. But we, we can't sit back and say we had a terrific year up through two rounds of the playoffs and not do something about it. So uh, that, that would, that, that's the mindset of any organization, particularly as you get into this high level and, and you're pursuing a championship every year. And, you know, Pat, you, you, um, you bring up – being active in the summer, and you guys were very active last summer, uh, and a lot of people uh, thought that you improved, that, that you guys improved the squad, bringing in Vince and getting Brandon Bass, um, you know, and some other and some other moves. So you come into the playoffs, and like you said, you you steamroll through the second through the first two rounds, and then you, you sort of meet this Boston buzzsaw. And you just mentioned how maybe you know this is more about Boston. And, and these wounds being bossed inflicted, but but I'm also wondering, like, did you? Is there anything that you saw over the past three games, whether or not it be a listlessness or a lack of motivation, that sort of disappointed that disappointed you in terms of Orlando's performance? Well, that is a good question. I I, I don't know what to say to you because a mm-hmm. week ago at this time we were on top of the world and uh, you know absolutely focused and ready to rock and we were heading to the championship i i i wish i could give you some wonderful insights about why we have struggled and why it's been so hard for us uh we we have not played well but but i've got to i i think back to to the civil war uh day three at gettysburg when general pickett sends his forces across that open wheat field and the union forces cut them down and destroy them and that's the high water mark of the Confederacy. After the war, General Pickett was asked about his charge that day and what happened. He said the Union Army had something to do with it. History lessons with Pat Williams. So our Union Army are the Boston Celtics. I, I don't, I don't. Tr- I'm not trying to simplify this too much, but mm-hmm. they've, they've got four Hall of Famers in that lineup. If you figure Rondo's going to get there someday. Mm. Uh, Rondo right now he could be the best point guard in the league, mm-hmm. and uh, and Paul Pierce and Allen are, and Garnett are all Hall of Famers, and they, they still I think people thought they were too old. You know there was no life left in those old bodies, but I, I think we were wrong. They found the fountain of youth somewhere. They look pretty young and frisky to me, yes. and, and we haven't figured out a way to stop them. Mm-hmm. Pat, do you do you look at a roster? Um, Win or lose, you know, no matter how successful you are, do you always go into the to the off season 
evaluating your roster and trying to figure out, okay, we, you know, we might've been good here, but we could get better, uh, you know, for the next go round. And if you do, how do you, how do you break down this, this Orlando roster, knowing that some guys played well in the first couple rounds and have struggled now in, in what weight to give this instance compared to the entire breadth of a season? Yeah, that's a great point. Whether, you know, there, there are three different seasons, maybe four, you know, the exhibition season, some guys can play there. Then you've got the 82-game schedule. That's a whole other level of play. Then the first two rounds of the playoff are one thing, and then the, then you go to the next two, and that's the fourth jump. And not everybody can play at that level. Mm-hmm. You know, only the very special ones can perform at that level with that level of scrutiny and intensity where everybody takes their game up to another level. It's, 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 it's only for a very elite few. And so that, that's what you've got to evaluate. And you can never, you can never sit back and say we're good enough. Look what's going to happen in the East this year. You, you've got um, Washington's going to get help. Uh, Philadelphia's going to get help, big-time help. Um, then come the Nets. You know, they get the third pick. They're going to get help. They're all going to get better there. And, and we just don't know how this free agency thing is going to play out. I mean, some teams could – could get a whole lot better. So you, you've got to be at that level. You've got to be absolutely competing at that highest level if, if indeed you're going to be a championship team. You, you can never sit back and say you're good enough. Pat, you know, this summer, um, your, your, friend, your executive friends over in Cleveland and Miami and Toronto, they all have some um, – well, they don't have tough decisions to make, so to speak, but they're on pins and needles, concerned that – up to this point, the the face of their franchise for the past few seasons might be going somewhere else. And you dealt with this 12 years ago uh, with Shaquille O'Neal uh, with, with, in, in the Orlando Magic. And I'm wondering what was going through your mind at that time and how you felt when he left. Well, I, I've been there. You know, we've been there in Orlando. We we know what it's like. It's a it's a it's a nervous nervous time. You're you're on you're listening to every rumor. We were. You know, Willie, he? Uh, it, it, it's, it's just a very, very difficult time. And uh, it kind of made me long for the decades and decades of uh, the reserve clause when there was no free agency and <laughs> every player. I mean, listen, for 100 years of baseball, you were locked in that franchise. I kind of like that as an executive. But it, it, it's very, very difficult and, and a nerve-wracking time. And then, and then when the news came that the Lakers had – traded this player they'd moved two other guys to clear cap room and and suddenly all of these rumors were beginning to crystallize in front of us as reality and and then came the news that morning that uh, jerry west was flying into atlanta for a press conference there built around the olympic practice schedule and Shaq had made his decision it, it was it was well what's a word beyond devastating uh, what's, wow. what's a word beyond um, crushing? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's a word really beyond empty? You, you, you know, you felt uh, rejected. You felt unloved. You felt insignificant. I mean, it was it was a nightmare. Wow. And, and 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 then and then we have the better part of a decade to dig out from Shaq's loss. Mm-hmm. We, right. we went through all sorts of centers and this, that, and the other, trying to put a finger in the dike and. Finally, through the miracle of a ping-pong ball, eight years later, we had an 18-year-old center from Atlanta, you know, Dwight Howard, who who, be, who has begun to fill that void, that gap that Shaq left. It's uh, it's a very, very difficult time to operate. Uh, it, it's it's a, probably the hardest part of the business. Mm. Staggering. Well, listen, Pat, we, we know you're on your flight and headed out, and uh, we appreciate you so much for joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast um, be safe, and uh, I'm sure your phone will be ringing this summer because there's going to be a lot of executives around the league that need your uh, wisdom and advice and, and to, to learn from your experiences. So we thank you so much. Well, guys, let me, let me talk before I run. I've got a new book that has just come out. It's called The Winning Combination. Mm-hmm. I asked about 1,500 coaches in all sports one question, what are the four keys to being a good coach? And uh, when I got the information, there were definite trends that kept coming up all the time. In fact, there were 21 of them. And then I thought, boy, this is really a leadership manual from, I mean, this would help from the White House on down. So the book has just come out. It's called The Winning Combination. Coach's Choice is the publisher. Mm-hmm. And uh, your, your listeners can go up and uh, go to coacheschoice.com. 
coacheschoice.com and uh, and get information about the book right there. So I'm really happy that we could do it, and and people can also go to my Twitter page. It's Orlando Magic Pat. Orlando Magic Pat. Pat Williams on Twitter. Get That's out right. of here. <laughs> That's right. So I'm I'm with the modern era guys. There I'm you go. The modern <laughs> modern era. I'm right there. And then the book sounds like a great read, Pat. It does. Thank, Thank you, you so I, much, I, Pat. I think you'll find it of value. Sure, good to talk to you. Thanks for calling. All, All right. right, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Vince, you uh, you brought up a great question, man. I I, it's, I don't think enough teams around the league ask themselves, how do you deal with this specific situation? Like, it's so true how there are four or five franchises on this firing line with this huge free agency coming up that are going to be potentially in that same situation the Magic ran when Shaq left, and it's. I thought he, I thought he nailed it, man. When he said, "It's what's the word for beyond man, devastating?" Man, I mean, like that—that's where it really, that's where he really put it in perspective. Yeah, the depth, you know, the emotional depth, um, that uh, depths that a franchise goes or go, go goes to when it loses the the face of, of that franchise. And I think that what we're what we're dealing with here, especially if you if you talk about Miami. Or LeBron, because Shaq was with Orlando for I think what four seasons um, before when when he when he left. I, I think that Cleveland has formed an even deeper. I know it has an even deeper attachment to LeBron James than Orlando did to to Shaquille O'Neal. So for somebody like him, and and we we could probably put Dwayne Wade. Um, at, at least on the the Shaq Orlando level, because Dwayne Wade has been there for you know seven seasons now, won a championship with them. If Shaq, I mean, if 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 either of those two players leaves th- those franchises, I, th- yo, yo, Pat Riley will be feeling just like Pat Williams. You know, Danny Ferry <laughs> and Dan Gilbert will be feeling just like Pat Williams, if not more. And if, I mean, we don't even want to talk about the fans. We might have to put the the whole northeastern side of Ohio on suicide watch, man. You know, I guess, I guess it's just it's you know it's a struggle when you realize you know you have one or two true transcendent superstars that ever pass through a franchise. You know what I mean? On mm-hmm. average, mm-hmm. you know what what franchise outside of the Lakers and Celtics have had, you know, dozens of Hall of Famers right. and, you know, right. uh, game, you know, true game-changing players of their generation, man. It's, if you're the Orlando Magic, you don't, you don't even dream about getting lucky enough to get another, right? I know. you know, uh, yeah. you know best of his era big man. They, they actually had it happen. By the same token, Vince, I think Pat also brought up a great point that, you know, and it was what I was trying to get at when we first started talking to him. This is like this is the the beginning and end of the line, in a lot of ways. You know, when you're talking about the end of June, you know, or, or all of May and June, July. You know, that's the that's the time when teams go through that metamorphosis. You know, you go from being at the bottom of the totem pole, and then comes the draft. And so you, while you're watching other teams in the playoffs, and you got maybe one of those top three draft picks you got an eye towards your future. And, and I think that's what makes this the special time for a lot of fans, a lot of, a lot of us, um, because you get a chance to look at the, the present of the league, you know, going at it for a championship, the future coming in the draft and maybe that team that's getting ready to fade into the, you know, into the background once they get bounced out of the playoffs. So we, we bring in another one of our uh, family members in here, Chris Dorch, uh, NBA TV's draft expert and uh, the man behind uh, the Blue Ribbon Basketball Yearbook that everybody knows and loves. Chris, how you doing, man? Hey, buddy. How's it going? I'm good. I, I know you're probably uh, knee-deep in uh, evaluations, whether it's <laughs> on tape, uh, oh, yeah. you know, on on the computer, in, in, on paper. Uh, your phone bill's probably running through the roof. Uh, you know, how, how's it going, and how is this draft process and, and just the wrap-up of the college season stacking up? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, it's it's been kind of an, uh, an eye-opener uh, because of the fact that I'm coming at it and, and have for years, as you know, purely from a, a college basketball standpoint. And then, you know, working with you guys and, 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 some, and talking to people like Kevin McHale and, and Steve mm-hmm. Smith and Eric Snow, uh, they look at these guys differently. They, they look right. at them like – 
are they going to be a star in the league? Like Kevin McHale said something to me that really made a lot of sense. He said, you know, if you look at it, for for a decade, uh, the same guys are perennial all-stars. And, and in that same period, there's 600 guys drafted, which means there's only 2% of those that are perennial NBA all-stars. So I'm learning to look at, at guys in, in the college ranks as it relates not to just how good they can be there, but how they translate to the next level. And that's a different world, as you all know. And uh, it, it's, it's made for some, uh, for some interesting thought processes on my part. You know, you've got to think, okay, just because a guy dominated uh, at that level, how do those skills translate? And, and some do, some don't. And I've spent, like you said, uh, Sekou, I've spent a lot of time on the phone talking to coaches and just trying to get their take, uh, talking to college coaches, mm. trying to get to some inside stuff on their kids, uh, you know, what their work habits are like, what they're willing to do to adapt to play to the next level and stuff like that. And, and based on those findings, you know, may, maybe being able to give a little bit more of a prediction on, on how they might fare at the next level. So yeah. what, what? So what skills translate, Chris? This is Vince Thomas, by the way. What 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 skill? What skills do you find are the are the transferable ones that make a a, a good college player um, into a good pro player as well? Well, I got a couple uh, for for on the court and a couple off the court. Uh, on the court is is is, is this: uh, Are you a guy that can make people around you better? Can you be a facilitator even from the from the five spot? Uh, like a Greg Monroe from Georgetown. Uh, and the other criteria on the court is uh, at crunch time, are, are you willing to take the big shot? I, I think those are, those are uh, uh, traits that separate guys. And then off the fl- floor, I look for a couple of things. When, when, a, when a college coach tells me his kid's a gym rat, uh, I light up. I highlight that when I'm typing his quotes in. Uh, and I think when, when a college coach tells me that his kid has a respect for those that came before him, I highlight that because so many kids, they don't know who Kevin McHale is, and he's a Hall of Famer. Let me give you a good example on that. I was talking to an Ohio State assistant about Evan Turner, and this year they had the 50th anniversary uh, uh, of their 1960 national championship team, and most of those kids are like, you know, who's John Havlicek? Who's Jerry Lucas? <laughs> and, and and Evan Turner was, was like a kid at Christmas. He was nervous to meet these guys. Uh, so to me, if, if you've got the strong work ethic and you've got a history, you know, say you, you and I came up, you know, we, we traded ball cards and we knew who everybody was on every roster and we knew who the Hall of Famers were. These kids today, they've got so many distractions that they're not students of the game. So if, if you can tell me that a kid knows who John Havlicek is, I'm impressed right off the get-go. You know, Chris, it's, it's funny, too. You, you talk about, um, you know, just how a player's makeup goes into whether or not he's going to be a, a, a great or good or whatever type of NBA player. And I, and I want to ask you about two guys specifically that there was a lot of – there was even a debate – in the college basketball world as to how good these guys were at the college level, never mind what they might, you know, become as pros. And that's Dwayne, Dwayne Wade and Brandon Roy, two guys who not everybody was sure how good these guys would be. I mean, I think that where they were drafted illustrates that some, um, because that we're talking about top 10 picks, but certainly not, you know, nobody thought Dwayne Wade would be as good or better than Carmelo Anthony when they were coming out in the draft. And then you look at it now, and I think you could make the uneasy ar- argument that he is. What, what, what was the evaluation of these guys at the same stage that Evan Turner's at now, and and how does it look to you now in retrospect? Well, I, I think both of those guys were, uh, uh, you know, as versatile as a pair of khakis. You know, Swiss Army knife <laughs> guys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, they, they they had the whole skill set. So if you take that whole skill set and you apply it with a work ethic. In, in other words, I'm not just going to go up there and start killing people. I've got to work. I had an interesting conversation today uh, with, a, with a UConn assistant, George Blaney, who's a really mm-hmm. good coach, and he was a head coach in his own right, and we were talking about Stanley Robinson. Uh, 
and uh, you know he he says that you know Stanley's got some knocks on him uh, in regards to uh, disappearing in games, but he says this. Jim Calhoun, you look at these kids now. You look at the Danielle Marshalls, Ray Allens, Cliff Robinson, et cetera, et cetera, that have long NBA careers. Mm-hmm. Coach Blaney told me that Jim Calhoun does one good thing for his kids as it relates to the next level, several good, but especially one, and that teaches them how to work. Now, you know, you're talking about kids who don't have the posses and, and don't have the distractions. They get up there and they work hard. And I think that's what separates these guys that truly want to be great or guys that just, you know, are are accepting a paycheck or they want to help their families. That's all admirable. Uh, But uh, the ones, the the separators are the guys that have those multi-skills and are willing to work to refine them. That's, that's, at least that's what I've figured out. And the reason I asked, the reason I brought that up, excuse me, Vince, the reason I brought that up, Chris, is, there's so many times, and Vince, you you can you can I'm sure uh, back me up on this. There's so many times when there's a guy that we watch as journalists or as observers, and we say to ourselves, "Man, this guy's good. this dude ought to be a big time pro." And the NBA people are lukewarm or a little skeptical because, well, he, you know, his first step is not as quick as they like, or he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really fit the size mode for the position he's going to have to defend at the next level. And and I I contend that evaluating players from the college level to the pro level is 10 times harder than it is at any other level coming up, you know, from a a 10, 12, 13 year old kid to the high school level or from a high school star to the college level. I just, I don't understand. There's, there's not a clear enough set of guidelines for you to follow when you're drafting in the NBA as there might be at any other level. And I'm wondering if y'all both feel the same way. Well, you know, I, I do agree with that, and, and I think that, that in some ways it's an inexact science. It's kind of like the baseball draft, but but there's only two rounds in the NBA, and you hear some people say that after the 15th pick there are no sure bets. Yeah. The other night in studio uh, I was talking uh, with Rick Callen and Kevin McHale, and they were saying stuff like, man, is this a two-player draft, a two-and-a-half-player draft? And I'm thinking, holy cow. You know, these are guys, these college kids that, as I cover them strictly at that level, these these were stars, you know. And and now these guys who really study the NBA, of course, Kevin was a was a general manager, a coach, an all star player. Uh, you know, they don't have quite as good an impression of these kids, and it is not an exact science by any means. And I think there's two things involved with that. One, obviously, it's it's these, this is the best collection of athletes in the world. Uh, you know, they've got eight to ten guys who are better than what you face on a day-to-day basis in the college game. Uh, there's no question uh, that that's an adjustment. And then, again, you know, how hard are these kids willing to work? If they're not willing to work, uh, they will have a very short career. They'll be playing in Istanbul, next thing you know. See, you know, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 that's where uh, Khalid El Amin plays, right? Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, speaking you know, of, uh, it, it's a good paycheck, okay? But yeah, it's right. not the NBA. Hey, we're speaking yeah, to yeah, UConn absolutely. Huskies. But, yeah. um, you know, and Khalid El Amin is a, is a great um, – He's good player. Great, he's, actually, he's a great player, and he, you know he's a good example. Undersized. Exa- he's a good example. Exactly. He's a good Undersized. Exa- he's a good example of somebody that uh, you got to have it all at that level. There, yeah. there aren't many kids, and I'll, I'll tell you a kid that that I went to this school, so I was surprised. Mister Jennings, I don't know if you remember him. He was five six oh, yeah. point guard. Oh, he yeah. stuck in the league for a while, yeah. uh, and, and part of it was a he didn't make mistakes, and b he was a sixty percent. Uh, three shooter his senior year in college, so those were two NBA skills. Yeah. And, and 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 again, talking to all these coaches, I've talked to forty college coaches in the last month, and they all say this: uh, there aren't many guys like LeBron or Kobe mm-hmm. that have that whole package of skills. D Wade, uh, those are the superstars. The guys who are smart enough to know that they have one skill the pros like mm-hmm. and develop that skill, uh, let's say a, a boarding or, or shot blocking, those guys can earn a paycheck for eight, ten years. Yeah. You know, I, I think, and tell me if, if you agree, Chris, because you brought out some of the transferable skills. 
Because, um, say, I'm not I, – I, I typically tend to be the guy that when I look at college players, more more than uh, than likely I'm saying that they won't make it in the league um, mm-hmm. just because, because of how much more difficult it gets on the pro Absolutely. level. But So, Chris, I think that it is incredibly important to be able to create your own shot at your position and to be able to not so much stop but make it very difficult for your opponent – to get off whatever shot he wants to, and I know that sounds simple, but because so because uh, college teams they play a lot of zone, and because so much of the, the the college offensive game is you know kicking it around the perimeter, and then you know somebody uh, jacks up a twenty foot jumper. Not everybody can create their shot coming into the league. So are, are those things that are high on the priority list when when execs are and scouts are looking at these college players? I don't think there's any question, and 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 part of part of what you talked about uh, being able to get a shot is the fact that the NBA is a wide open game. The the, the spacing is greater, uh, the floor gives you opportunities, and you can't hand check. Uh, it is maddening to be a college coach and get into a game where the refs are inconsistent, either from game to game or minute to minute on how they call stuff like hand-checking. In the NBA, you put hands on a guy, it's a whistle. Okay, so these guys are like, these guys with some quicks and some hops, they're like getting released from prison when they get to the NBA. (laughs) You know what? They can get to the rim. And, uh, again, the other night I was in the studio with Kevin McHale, and I I said a little joke. I, I didn't know if it would get his goat or not, but I said, yeah, I heard John Wall is the, is the most athletic point guard we've seen since Dr. Naismith hung the peach basket. <laughs> and he's like, no, wait a minute, man. Mm-hmm. He says, are you telling me he's more athletic than, than Derrick Rose? And I'm saying, dude, here, here's all I'm telling you. I've been covering this game a long time. Seku knows that. And in that time, I hadn't seen anybody like him. Wow. So, and, and he goes along with what you just said. The guy can get his shot. Uh, Not a huge fan of his, Chris. What? What? what I, I know he's. I know he's. He's. A, he's a talent. He's a special talent. I sure. recognize that everybody thinks that he's the you know, privative favorite for, the, for for number yeah. one top pick. But what, what, yeah, why? Why is he going to be so good in the NBA? What about his game is going to make him and, such a good pro? And Chris, yeah. Chris, Before you answer, you got to remember now. This is Vince. We're talking about Vince is. He's, he's he not like impressed anybody. by anything. Yeah, this <laughs> yeah. is this is like the world's greatest GM ever. He's not impressed. I love no, Evan, no, that, I love that, Evan Turner, but, that, but go that's ahead. good. I mean, you should be that way. That that's yep. why you get paid. Uh, you know, you, you're an exacting critic, and and I am too at, at at a different level of the game. And what I'm saying about this kid is, he does stuff that I hadn't seen. Uh, and, and and here's why. He's got that rare ability uh, to know when to facilitate and set his guys up. I was talking to John Robick, one of the Kentucky assistants, and he said he had several games where he just tried to see how many assists he could get. Uh, but but at, at the same time, I lost count uh, when, it, when it got to 10 how many games that he just decided, hey, I'm going to win this thing uh, for Kentucky and just took it upon himself. So he's got that ability to know when, I mean, it used to be uh, you, you hear the phrase scoring point, and it scared you a little bit because that meant a kid couldn't differentiate between uh, when to facilitate and when to call his own number. This kid instinctively knows how to do that. Now you add big-time athleticism uh, to the arsenal. He's as fast uh, on the dribble as anybody I've seen, and he can get to the rim in a heartbeat and dunk it any way you want. Uh, and, and then you give him this, this otherworldly maturity. Uh, I think his father passed at pa- of pancreatic cancer when the kid was about seven or nine, very young. And uh, he grew up, you know, and, and, and his mother was left to, to tell him of, uh, if he wanted to play in the pros, he needed to work. And, and so he's got some maturity that you don't see in a kid so young. Well, you know, that's a good, a great point, Chris. And I'll tell you what, the the question, you know, that, that Kamala and Mikhail asked the other night, like, is this a two-and-a-half-player draft? Is this a two-player <laughs> draft? I'll remind you, 
NBA types say that every year. Last year, this time, <laughs> it was Blake Griffin and the you know and the fifty nine dwarfs. Yeah, and, and now here we are sitting on the other side of that, and people are talking about this being one of the better rookie classes in recent memory. You just you never know. You just you never, never know. know how it translates. And you know, but but there's guys like I, I give you Derek Favors. Uh, this guy is eighteen years old, but here, here's the thing: I talked to Paul Hewitt about him, and he said that after games, uh, after they got done with their press responsibilities, it was no surprise to see him and Ghani Lawal head to the weight room and pump it for an hour or so. All right? He put on 25 pounds of muscle as a freshman, and as the year went along, he became a force. Uh, you know, early he, he, his conditioning was poor. He was getting winded. He would make tired fouls. And toward the end of the season, he was Georgia Tech's best player as an 18-year-old kid. So he's got that work ethic you look for. And then those gifts from God, you know, long arms. Big-time hops, uh, yeah. a strong body, a decent IQ. So there are some kids there that, that I think, if they work hard, if they get in the right system, I think they can be stars. You know, Evan Turner is one. Wesley Johnson is one. Wesley Johnson, are you kidding me? He's got a seven-foot wingspan as a six-eight, three-man. He can get up. And the best thing about him, he's got deep, deep NBA range on his jumper. So uh, you know, like a guy like Michael Finley stayed in the league for a long time, uh, long after his mad athleticism was gone, because he can shoot the rock. And uh, a guy like Wesley Johnson can do that. You know, Chris, speaking about shooting the rock and, and work ethic, there's a player that I'm sure you're uh, very familiar with in J.J. Redick. Um, who came into the league with a certain he came into the league with a certain resume and, and, and skill set from college, and had a had a tough couple years um, starting out with Orlando, but you should you know you should see the guy now he's ripped, and he's now one he's a a serious um, rotation player for the Orlando Magic. He, you know you can count on him for minutes. He's on the floor sometimes at, at, at crunch time, and I think it's because he came in. He was humbled. He saw what did not. What about his game did not translate to the to the pro game, and what he had to work on, and he did it. My question to you though is, what what was it about JJ Redick in college that that you know led you to believe that he was going to, or actually, what did you think he was going to do in the pros? Did you think he was going to have trouble at first? Did you think he was going to come in like gangbusters? Did you think that maybe he would never uh, develop and be a bust? What was what was your thinking on him? Well, my thought on the kid, and, and again, this is purely coming from the standpoint of college, you know, uh, all-time three-shooter in, in, in the game, so you knew he had that. If you look at tape and watch where he launched his shots from, you knew he had the range. You know, when a kid doesn't look at his feet, you're not worried about him at the next level because he doesn't care where he is. You know, he's got the confidence. So you knew he had that. Uh, what you wondered about was, you know, can he guard up there? And like you said, it's it's a one-on-one game. It's a, it's a game of you stopping your guy from getting to the rim. And that's the thing that you're worried about. But he's done what he's had to do. You know, talking to many coaches over the years, they say the number one thing that a kid has to do, and it's like a broken record, is get stronger. As strong and uh, as these kids are today and, and as good as, especially at the upper uh, level of, of D1, as good as, as their uh, strength and conditioning coaches are, they still need to get bigger and stronger for the pros because everybody is. I mean, you, you can't be – uh, you know, a, a weakling there, and I, and I think J.J. Uh, knew that. I think Duke's staff uh, of strength and conditioning guys, they, they like a certain look with their kids. It's kind of a lean strength. But uh, you got to put on some LBs of muscle uh, to play in the league, and I think he's done that. And, and the other thing is he's a smart kid, you know. Uh, he's smart enough to know what he needs to do, and uh, I thought that he could have a career – but I'll tell you what, I, I think he's played better than a lot of people thought he might. Mm. No, that's that's true. And Chris, I, I hate to I hate to date either one of us, but I gotta go back to the time when, you know, I know we were both knocking around those SEC arenas. And I think of two players, uh, you know, we're talking about Kentucky guys. I think of two players at Kentucky who I was probably more sure about being good pros than I was 
anybody else at the time who questioned wh whether or not they, their skills would translate. And I think a Tayshaun Prince, who certainly didn't have the kind of NBA-ready body people had hoped and slid down in a draft. And then I think of Jamal McGlure, who I thought at the time, with all the arm wrestling and MMA fighting he was doing at Kentucky that, that really <laughs> drove fans from other teams bonkers, I thought, man, that is going to work in the NBA. That'll, that'll help him draw a check at his size for a long, long time in the NBA. Can you think of any guys like that in the game today, like who might be a part of this draft, who are, you know, specialists maybe in college, but don't have the profile that you would think translates, but will be good players? Yeah, I, I think Jarvis Bernardo from, from Mississippi State. He's the all-time yes. leading, leading shot Absolutely. blocker in, in the NCAA, and, and he's a scrawny dude. I mean, he, he looks like a bobby pin, man. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and he's he's worked hard at it. Uh, he Some kids just are not going to be humongous. It's right. not in their makeup. You can uh, eat 10,000 calories a day and pump iron until uh, you're blue in the face. And, and he's done. I mean, he's gotten as strong as he could. I, I bet he weighs 235. Mm -hmm. uh, but but here's a kid, again, uh, strong work ethic. And I was very pleasantly surprised back in the fall when they brought him to SEC Media Days. I said, have you ever heard of Bill Russell? And not only had he heard of Bill Russell, he studies Bill Russell's game tapes. Wow. And, 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 what? And really? Yes. And that, that, see, that's what impresses you about certain kids. He studies Bill Russell's game tapes and sees how Bill Russell would block a, a shot and keep it in play instead of spiking one into the stands. And that affected how the kid began to, to do his thing. Uh, and this kid, I mean, I'll tell you, he can get up twice to year one, uh, and, and he's got, you know, gasoline hoses for arms. Uh, he can forge out a career there because he can do one thing well. And, you know, I, I think you're seeing it, uh, you know, uh, with the Celtics. Uh, uh, you know, they'll, they'll single cover Dwight Howard and not let other guys burn them from the perimeter. And the NBA is looking for guys that can single cover uh, a guy like Dwight Howard in the post. And, and right. uh, you know, Bernardo may get pushed around for a while, but I'll tell you what, he's going to block your shot, uh, you know, and, and, and he's going to put some fear in you. And, and that's, a, that's an example, Seku, that I can give you. Speak, yeah. speaking, of, speaking of studying game tape, whose game tape do you think Michael Beasley studies? <laughs> you know? I mean, so I'm, I'm That's like, cold, I know it's That's cold. cold. I, I know That's it's cold. cold, Chris. I know, I know. You know, I'm a sucker, Chris. I'm a sucker. But no. I thought Michael, man, I could have swore Michael Beasley was gonna come in like gangbusters, Chris. Well, I did, did. Was there something about his game, or you know, perhaps his personality? And you know, we hear some of that stuff creeping into conversations about Demarcus Cousins. Was was this? Was there anything about Michael Beasley that led you to believe? You know what? I don't think this guy is. I think this guy might under achieve a little bit and do you is there anything like that going on with demarcus cousins right now well nothing really stood out to me um uh i i think there's there's an it factor uh for guys let's say kevin durant i mean uh, mm -hmm. michael beasley busted a bunch of kevin durant's record and kevin durant was off the charts as a as a college freshman mm -hmm. i mean the best player in the game as an 18 year old mm -hmm. uh you know, Michael Beasley did a lot of the same things and broke some of his records. It was unbelievable. But Kevin Durant's just, you know, he's a big-time scorer now. You're not going to stop the kid. And, and there's just it factors. And, and some of it, uh, light bulbs come on quicker than others. Um, mm -hmm. as, far, as far as DeMarcus Cousins, now, now I'll, I'll give you this. You know, he, he, he got into a fight with an assistant coach when he was uh, a high school player. Uh, he jawed with uh, with Cal this year. Uh, he had a few technical fouls. There were several instances where refs had to look at the tape and see if he was doing anything. And I'll, I'll just say this about that. I remember a game, and this dates me a little bit, when Shaq was at LSU, and uh, this was the SEC tournament, and, and they were playing Tennessee, and a, a kid named Carlos Groves, who was much smaller than Shaq, was guarding him, and it got a little physical, and Dale Brown charged the court like Shaq needs his help. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and later, everybody wondered, Dale, what's up, brother? Are you going nuts on me? And he said, well, you know, I'm sick and tired of seeing 
uh, files uh, as a matter of course to stop this my kid Shaq, and nobody calls it. And that's the same thing with DeMarcus Cousins. It's been that way uh, ever since he first laced on some sneakers because he's been humongous, way bigger than his competition. And as a matter of course, people are following him in the post, and they're going to follow him and follow him and follow him and try to get him mad. And and, uh, so I always temper my judgment on him and say, what would you feel like if you were getting hammered nightly and nobody calls it mm-hmm. so uh you know that's going to get him a little steam now do, can he grow up absolutely can uh he, he can make a fortune if he can keep his emotions in check uh i think he has big time skills I, I think there's some question about uh defensively for him but i mean he can flat out claim a rebound uh, struggles at the free throw line, but he's got some post moves he can score with. Uh, I think he could be a good pro, but again, it's that it factor. Do you have the uh, preternatural uh, maturity of a LeBron James? Uh, not everybody does, uh, but that's what it takes. It takes being uh, physically and mentally mature enough to know what it takes to succeed. You know, I'm I'm telling you right now. I don't care how many times you go on TV or anywhere else and bust out that versatile as khakis line. I'm stealing. I'm stealing it. Just so you know, I'm stealing. <laughs> hey, you know it's true, man. You can wear anything with them. Say, <laughs> cool wears khakis if uh, seven days a week. You I'm telling I'm you, I, I got a bunch of them. I threw my jeans out, boys. The I same, got khakis. But but the same. He wears the same pair, though, Chris. I, I saw a, a, sp- a spaghetti a spaghetti stain from like you know February of 2005 on on, on some of his khakis. Oh uh, man, you see what I put up on around here, Chris? Hey, you, you got to bust some chops in there to survive, don't you? Yeah, we do. I hear you. I hear you. But listen, tell everybody where they can get their hands on on the Blue Ribbon Yearbook, Chris, and. Uh, and how they can find you and track you down in terms of the internet and, and everywhere else, man, because it's, it's great information that they'll be able to get on NBA TV, but they, I'm sure people are going to want to get it everywhere. Well, I appreciate that, buddy. Um, you know, we, we've, this is going to be our 30th year putting out this thing. And for people that don't know, it's a 400 page, uh, uh, they call it the Bible of college basketball. And it's got a full story on every team in the country. And uh, best way to get it, we've got a website. It's just blue ribbon yearbook online that's all one word blue ribbon yearbook online.com and and you can reserve our 30th it's hard to believe we've been around that long and we've seen a lot of stuff man we've seen a lot of stuff in that time and you know that covers uh mj's era to john wall's era so that's a lot of ball mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely i'm sure we're gonna have him on be you know between no now and, and june 20 june 24th right oh, i hope yeah, so yeah, guys yeah. i've really enjoyed it you know anytime i can Sit and uh, talk about ball. It's a good day. And, and, one, and once these, uh, once the, once the, once the, the playoffs, and then we can really sit down and start talking about like these individual players in depth, which which I can't wait for. Absolutely, and and you know, again, talking to these these guys, coaches, uh, they respect Blue Ribbon, and, and they know that, that they're they're not going to BS me, so they're telling you know warts and all on these kids, and you know yeah. it doesn't help them to hide a. A kid's weaknesses they know a kid has to work on it so i'm getting some pretty good information that we you know be glad to talk about on the podcast about you know these kids and their strengths their weaknesses and whether they project i mean again i'm i'm a guy that that comes at it strictly from the college standpoint you guys are the experts on the pros but i think we can have a meeting in the minds and get all this figured out Mm-hmm. There's no question, and we're gonna let Vince pick the tab up too, Chris. So. <laughs> it, it, we're gonna let Big Bucks take care of the tab. Man. That's Listen, right, man. Thanks again for joining us, and uh, you can catch him on NBA TV as well as at Blue Ribbon Yearbook Online. Chris Dorch, we appreciate you coming on with us. Thanks, Thanks Chris. guys. Enjoyed it. All right, VT, you uh, you're not a John Wall fan, huh? Um, you know, you're not really into him, huh? I think he's a talent. You know, um. I- it's just it's just weird though that it's like oh the the John Wall sweepstakes like this dude is not Kevin Durant or you know um Dwight you, don't even, you don't even think he's Derrick Rose huh no I don't think he's as good as Derrick Rose right yeah and, you don't even think and it's um and it, you know it's like the, he's just like the 
ironclad number one. Maybe part of the reason why I'm sort of down on him more so than other people, maybe he doesn't even have to do with basketball kind of stuff. Maybe he just has to do with that whack dance that he does. You, I was going to say, I thought I saw some YouTube of you and Ashley Judd doing the John Wall <laughs> dance at, at Checkers on 10th Street. I, I, I could be wrong. but I'll do whatever dance Ashley Judd wants me to do with her. I put it I put it to you like that first. But, besides, but besides that, I, I'm not doing the John Wall dance, man. I'm going to save that for teenage girls and John Wall. All right. Well, you know, I, as always, we don't get enough time on here, man. Um, no. I, I'm sitting here talking to, to Chris, and I've known Chris Dortch for as long as I've been in this business, which is long years. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because I think about all the basketball conversations he and I and a bunch of other guys who have been in the business a long time have had, and they don't change, you know. Here we are, all these many years later, still debating and analyzing and wondering: Does it, you know, does this cat have what it takes to be a big time pro? Does it, you know, the the same questions remain, and I think he nailed them on, on a couple of different occasions, man. It's do you have the work ethic and desire and the drive to be great, or are you satisfied with just being talented? And uh, hmm. it's the diff- it's the difference between hmm. the elite and the not so elite, and it's the difference between the guys who earn checks. Big, you know, seven-figure paychecks um, playing this game and the guys who have to chase the dream uh, in in the hinterlands and across oceans. So, <laughs> you, you know, and you know what, say, I know we're going to, over the next couple of weeks, I know we're going to get into the draft much, much deeper than we are now. Yeah, but yeah. I, I'll just say this. This is, I, I, I said this on, uh, I tweeted this the other day. I think that John Wall is going to, be more of an OJ Mayo and I think that Evan Turner is going to be more of a Brandon Roy. That mm-hmm. that's my that that's where I have them right now and if I had the if if I was in the draft and I had the opportunity to 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 draft OJ Mayo or Brandon Roy, I'm taking Brandon Roy. OJ Mayo is going to make a couple All-Stars. You know, I think so. Um mm-hmm. but I like I, I like the Brandon Roy type type dudes. So that, yeah, you know well, that that's that's where I'm at, and I'm I'm sure we'll you know we'll we'll probably talk about this you know for four or five hours over the next couple of weeks. So no, you're right, you're right. That's that, and that's a great point because for a long time I've been anti comparing you know a guy coming into the league to a guy who's already established because it's just you know you base it on how they look or how their game looks, and it's not really about what kind of, you know, fabric a dude has. Like, is this mm-hmm. dude tough as nails as if to this? But mm-hmm. that's the, really the only thing we have to go by, and I think those are excellent comparisons, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't know if I agree with either one. I mean, I, I, I want to think about it harder, and, and, I, and I love Wall, and I know that I wasn't as convinced Derrick Rose would be as good as he is as, as quickly as he's gotten there um, during the same time frame in terms of yeah. the draft process, mm-hmm. and he's probably surprised me more than he has anything. So... I'm not doubting anybody with that sup- that superstar talent. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if, if they're not willing to put some grind behind that, you know, it's, it's hard to project. But I think, I, I think, I lo- I I think well, I, I think, them. you know, you, you talk about the, you know, do you do you have the drive to be great or are you cool with just being talented? And I think I think Wall definitely has that drive to be great. I th- you know, and he is talented, you know. I guess I, I probably haven't yet articulated what it is about Wall's game um, that that just makes me uh, not as high on him as as others. But there is there is something you know about yeah. about him, especially the way he plays point guard. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, again, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll we'll probably get into all this, you know, much later. I I, I don't, I don't want to show my hand yet because I I yeah. want to wait for the blowout pod, the blowout draft podcast. Folks, you know, <laughs> we're gonna make we're gonna make uh, our super producer Michael Hart get on with us for the blowout draft podcast because he's been hiding in the, he's been hiding in the room back yeah. there, knowing good and well. Anytime somebody mentions Mississippi State, you know, his ears light up. So when that Jarvis <laughs> Fernando got mentioned, I know he was jumping in there. So. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, he spilled. He spilled his coffee on him. Spilled. <laughs> <laughs> but you listen, the Hang Time Podcast coming to you. You know, from across the country, all over the place. Great guest we, today, man. Yeah, fantastic mm-hmm. guest. I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm. You know, I'm sick that we didn't get to spend more time with Pat Williams because 
I think he has so many insights, yeah. you know, into the, the, the process and what's going on for a lot of teams heading into free agency here that I think people need to hear. <laughs> just, you as know. We were, just as we were getting ready, you heard the fasten seatbelt sign go on I in heard, the background, that, you know? I heard that noise go off, and I'm sure <laughs> there was a flight attendant looking at him like, hang up the phone, sir. Hang up the phone. You know, like, <laughs> right. I, I've gotten that look, so I know I know what he was going through. But yeah. And then having Chris Dorch here, um, you know, in the in the NBA digital family, of course, is, is always good um, yep. in, in Blue Ribbon. And I don't for people who haven't seen Blue Ribbon, I've been, I've been getting my hands on it for years since I started covering, uh, before I started covering college basketball back in the early uh, 90s. Um, so, I mean, it's one of those things you got to have, you got to have a copy if you want to know anything beyond what you hear Dick Vitale and the people on uh, ESPN say about mm-hmm. college basketball. You better get a book so you can study up yourself. So, great guests, mm-hmm. uh, great time. I don't know where I'm going to be uh, next week. I'm in Phoenix today, uh, you know, and, and maybe maybe in L.A., maybe. I don't know where we're going to be next week this time, but we're going to be on the Hang Time Podcast regardless. So, Absolutely. Uh, for my man Vince Thomas, my partner in basketball crime, uh, Micah Hart, our super producer, Clintonius Hawkins, the man mastering all the controls, we appreciate you joining us. Sekou Smith from the Hang Time blog. Catch us next time on the podcast. You're